Mark chapter 10, 17 through 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This passage is familiar because we started it last week. Last week we looked at the way that Jesus interacted first with a group of children and then with this rich young man. He warmly received and embraced the children and then challenged and parted ways with the rich young man. And Jesus held these interactions up in front of his disciples to show them what it means to follow him and to be saved. If you come to Jesus as a child, understanding that he is strong, he knows what is best, he provides, he will gladly receive you. But if you attempt to come to Jesus by showing Jesus how strong you are, how much you have done, how lucky he is to have you, you will not come to him at all. Last week, we focused on the interaction with the rich young man and the interaction that came before it, these children. And this morning, we're going to again focus on the interaction with the rich young man, but now we're going to look at the interaction that comes after it with Peter. Patty read a few minutes ago, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. And verse 9 is a verse that stands out. Jeremiah says, the, and you can actually turn to Jeremiah 17 for a few minutes because we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time there. Verse 9, Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or, or wicked. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. That verse 
has become a pretty foundational verse for me, which maybe sounds strange, but that, that verse is, is foundational for me in my personal spiritual life and also in my pastoral ministry. Personally, the, Jeremiah 17, 9 has taught me to mistrust myself, to not trust myself. My feelings, my desires, my thoughts, my motives, my words, and my actions all spring from a heart that is negatively impacted by the sickness of my sin. I am prone to fool myself. And so I must be wary of myself and pursue honesty with myself. Because I have a heart that is deceitful and sick. And so I shouldn't presume to always understand it. And similarly, this verse influences my work as a pastor. When I'm engaging all of you and seeking to do spiritual good in your life, I am trying to understand the same dynamic in your heart that I'm trying to understand in mine. How is sin impacting you? How are you fooling yourself and and seeking to fool others in your sin? What's the heart posture behind your words and your actions? Those are all things that I'm, I'm prayerfully pursuing, that I'm asking the Lord, help me. Help me to understand what's going on in this person's life. Help me to understand what's happening in their heart. And recently, I've, I've been struck in a fresh way that this problem and question in verse 9, this, the problem is that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick, And then the question is, who can understand it? So here's a problem and a question. The heart is deceitful. Who can understand it? That problem and question in verse 9 is answered in verse 10. So if you have Jeremiah 17, look at verse 10. So he says, the heart is deceitful and sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So a few verses earlier, in verses 7 and 8, or 5 through 8 of Jeremiah 17, God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God describes two types of people, and, and Gary prayed along those lines, these two types of people, those who trust in man and man's strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that's one type of person, and then those who trust in the Lord. So this person does not trust in the Lord, this person does trust in the Lord And Jeremiah describes both types of people as a plant. This one is a shrub in the desert. And this one, this one who doesn't trust the Lord is like a shrub in the desert. And this one who trusts the Lord is like a tree planted by a stream of water. Now, what we need to understand is that from the ground up, they both look like plants. They both have all of the elements of of a plant. They have stems and branches and leaves. So they both look like vegetation. Here's a plant, here's a plant. And that's verse 9. That's what Jeremiah is saying. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? From the ground up, I look at both of these plants and I say, that's a shrub, that's a tree, but they're both plants. And, and And God is telling us, go under... The surface. Here, so, 
from a, a human perspective, we, we look and we say, look, here's, here's a group of people and there's, there's people, there's someone over here on this side of the aisle that, um, that, that is, looks like a plant and there's someone here on this side. Both are here, both, both people, they're both expressing an outward interest in religious and spiritual things. So who can know which person is spiritually healthy? You both look like Christians. And that's verse 10. The Lord searches the heart. The Lord tests the mind. And in the, in the illustration that we're given in Jeremiah 17, the way that the Lord tests people's hearts and minds is heat. The Lord brings heat. The, the beating sun, the scorching wind, and the roots of both plants are quickly exposed. One, this shrub in the desert, has no access to water, and so it shrivels and it rolls away like tumbleweed. The other, the tree planted by water, sinks its roots down deep into the stream of water and flourishes. So you look at both and you can't tell which is which until the heat comes. And it's the Lord sending the heat. It's the Lord bringing circumstances. Life happens to the person on this side of the aisle and to the person on that side of the aisle. You have trouble and trials and persecution and sickness and disappointment and relational tension. That happens to to both types And God exposes the hearts of both. So as that heat comes, it is revealed that one does not love and trust and treasure Christ. And and so that person falls away from the life of faith. That person rolls off like tumbleweed. And the other genuinely does know and value Christ. And they, they persevere in trouble. They bear the fruit that's given by the Holy Spirit. So on the, on the one hand, we cannot rightly know the motivations and desires of our own hearts or the hearts of others. Looks are deceiving. So there, there should be a healthy level of mistrust with regard to our own ability to discern. Yet, yet on the other hand, the Lord does rightly know. The Lord is able to plumb the depths of the heart And what we see in Jeremiah 17 is the Lord plumbs the depths of our hearts and he does it in a way that other people can see. He does do it in a way that his people can see what's happening in people's hearts. God exposes our hearts and the hearts of other people and if we pay attention to the evidence, if we watch their lives, we can come to right and true knowledge. Now, you're thinking, is this a sermon on Mark 10 or is this a sermon on Jeremiah 17? Yes. So I think, I think what's happening in Jeremiah 17 is evidenced in Mark 10. Mark 10 is a, is a really good illustration for us of God doing that heart work, doing, shining the light, bringing the heat into people's lives. And as he brings that heat, things are exposed. In, in them. So the rich young man 
and the disciples, and Peter is in his normal spot as the spokesperson for the disciples, the rich young man and the disciples, they look a certain way. And they see themselves in a certain way. But Jesus shines a light on their hearts in a way that exposes their self-deception and invites them to right and true self-knowledge. So they look a certain way, but as, as Jesus brings some heat to both of them, we, we begin to see what's really happening at the root level. So we, I, I said this in the Friday email, we read the Bible in order to know God, but something surprising happens as we read the Bible, we begin to better know ourselves. The, the Bible is a, a, a window that we look through to see God, but it also is a mirror. When, as we open the Bible, the, the, the Bible shines a reflection on us and we say, ooh, I didn't know I looked like that. And we're able to move toward godliness. So that, this passage is a mirror text, show, shining, the, shining it back on your life and your heart. So first we see the rich young man, his unwillingness to part with his earthly possessions, his unwillingness to sell all that he has, reveals, it exposes, that he does not understand the heavenly treasure that could be his. So the, the first, it's a, it's a spotlight on the rich young man's heart. Here's a man who, by all appearances, is on the right track. We, we talked about him at some length last Sunday, so I'm not going to go into great detail. But this man is living an enviable life. He, he's living a good, successful, moral life. He is wealthy. He cares about his appearance. He has lived well enough that he can at least claim to have kept the commandments since his youth. This man has lived a good life life. In the, in the imagery of Jeremiah, this rich young man, he's, he's a plant with all the elements, stems, branches, leaves. Everything looks good in this man's life from the ground up. And yet, the heart is deceitful. Jesus listens to this man, listens to his words, listens to him present himself as a flourishing plant, and then Jesus shines the light, tells him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Do you, do you really want to flourish? then leave all that stuff, come follow me. And the man is, verse 22, is disheartened by the saying and goes away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So Jesus exposes his heart and he rolls away like tumbleweed. He shrivels up and blows away. He has no spiritual root and remember, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful. This man has been deceiving himself and others. 
He looks like a healthy plant, but there's nothing going on under the surface. There is no root. He is not drawing any nourishment spiritually, and so he floats away. So remember, the heart is deceitful. And among the many implications of that, one thing we see in this text is that spiritual brokenness often doesn't look like it. You can't look at someone and say, that person is a spiritual mess. Remember Pigpen from the Peanuts cartoons? Walks around with this cloud of dust constantly. No matter what he does, he can't get clean. That kid is a mess. That, his brokenness is on full display all the time. And some of us are like that, at least some of the time. Some of us, you can look at us and say, that person's a mess. That person is broken. That person's spiritual life is not thriving. That does happen sometime. You, some people, you make a bad decision, that bad decision immediately goes badly, you immediately face the consequences, and everyone immediately knows it. That, that is a category. So... I have a younger brother, and in high school, he did something, he was driving and driving stupidly, and he rolled his car. And thankfully, nobody got hurt, it was just a minor accident, but he made a stupid decision, he immediately, he rolled his car as a consequence of that stupid decision, and mom and dad were thrilled, <laughs> right? So he immediately faced the consequences. He did something stupid, and right away everyone said, that was stupid. That didn't go well. You are a mess. Now, on the other hand, his older brother also drove stupidly in high school. I, I made bad decisions. I, I handled my car poorly, but I didn't get into any accidents, and I didn't get pulled over. My parents didn't know. Sometimes they watch these sermons on. <laughs> so it's easier for me to deceive myself and others at that age. Say, I was a good kid. At least I'm not like my brother. Look at what he did. But I'm a, I was broken. I was foolish. I was making bad decisions. I just wasn't immediately paying for them. So you can't just look at the person and say, this person is doing well spiritually, this person is not. There's more happening under the surface. So don't take it for granted that the people sitting around you, just because they look okay, that they're doing well. And don't take it for granted that because you look okay today, you can hold it together for an hour, so I'm, it, it must be okay, but outside... Is, is a mess. This, this man looks good, but there's, there's decay and disease under, under the surface in his life. And, and that's what we see. Jesus opens the embarrassing closet in the man's heart. One thing you lack, he tells the man. Jesus looks at this man and he says, you behave morally. You regularly obey my commands, but you do not love me. You're, you treasure your money. 
You find joy and peace and satisfaction and identity in your money. Your heart belongs to money, not to me. You love the gifts and you have no regard for the giver. And so sell your stuff and follow me. You will have better treasure in heaven. And that heat that Jesus applies to this man's life, the heat for him is sell your stuff, that heat causes the man to shrivel up and blow away. He is exposed. He is laid bare. His religious facade falls off. He is forced, Jesus forces him to choose which temple will he attend for worship. And he has to leave Jesus to go worship at the bank. Which we used to do as a church. (laughs) But we were worshiping Jesus in the basement of a bank. So, man, will you worship me and love me? Or will you worship God and love, or will you worship money and love money? And the man goes away sorrowful because he had a lot of money. We are created to hold tight to treasure. But this man is holding the wrong treasure. He claims to love God and money, but Jesus tells him that his house is on fire and he drops the Bible and runs to the cash box. This is what I really love. Jesus says this elsewhere in in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, verses 24 through 26. He says, you cannot love God and money. You will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't have two gods. You can't give your heart to Jesus and give your heart to your stuff. The rich young man here, he says, remember this All of Mark 8 through 10 is about spiritual sight. Here's blindness, partial sight, clear sight. And so here, the rich young man, it's as if he's saying, look, Jesus, I'm a good person. And Jesus says, no, you look. You are in grave danger unless you let go of that counterfeit treasure. You're holding on to the wrong thing. And this is true of all of God's good gifts, not just money. It's true of food and sex and friendship and comfort and recreation. These are good gifts, but they're lousy gods. So this man looks like a a plant, but he's drawing nourishment from a salted, dry desert. And Jesus says, come follow me. And the man says, no, I can't. I can't let go of what I love. Jesus exposes him through this heat. And likewise, Jesus exposes Peter. Peter's eagerness for Jesus to see how much he has given up to follow him reveals that Peter does not understand the riches he has gained. Rich young man, that interaction happens. The rich young man leaves. The disciples are astounded by what has happened. Jesus tells them that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
It says, with man it is impossible to be, to be saved, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So Peter listens to all this, and then Peter responds to Jesus. And Peter begins to say, verse 28, Notice he says, begins to say. Jesus is not going to let him get very far. Peter begins to say, see, we have left everything. We have left everything to follow you. Look, Jesus, we've left everything. Aren't you impressed with our sacrifice? Look at how much I've done for you, Jesus. Look, look at how much I've given up to come with you. Look, Jesus, and again, Jesus says, no, you look. You've sold something small. You've sold something that wasn't going to last anyway for something eternal and much bigger. You have sold a small sum to acquire a pearl of great price or a treasure in the field. That's Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there briefly. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. These are two parables Jesus tells. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Think of that imagery in, in Jeremiah 17. You have one plant in the dry desert, the other beside a stream of water. Apart from God, every person is that plant in the desert. Apart from God's help, God's sustaining grace, you are a, you are a dry shrub in the desert. You are cut off you are dry and you are one hot day from disaster apart from God. And the, the rich young man doesn't want to give up that position. He doesn't want to stop being a shrub in the desert. And we, we look at this passage and we see the absurdity of it. There is no future for him in the desert he is in grave danger and he is refusing the stream of water. He doesn't want it. Peter, meanwhile, has made the right and good decision to leave the desert and come to the water. Peter has left everything to follow Jesus. And he seeks to boast in his decision. He wants Jesus to pat him on the head. Good job, Peter. Jesus points out that Peter has made a good decision, but not ultimately a sacrificial one. Peter is receiving far more than he gives. Peter is forsaking death and choosing life. And so Peter shouldn't be saying, in effect, to Jesus, look how lucky you are that I came. Jesus is saying, Peter, look how lucky you are that you came. Look how much you have gained by what you have given up. So anything that a follower of Jesus can give up, whatever you can give up to come follow Jesus, it's not even to be compared to the treasure that you gain. 
the Christian cannot give anything up that will not be replaced a hundredfold. Jesus tells Peter, look, I've given up everything to follow you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Peter, you have gained so much more than you have given up by following me. So, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, he's talking about the church in Corinth giving, giving sacrificial gifts for the sake of gospel ministry. And Peter says, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So like Jesus does again and again in the gospels, he says, Peter, I'm not after your stuff I'm after your heart. I don't want you to leave everything and follow me to impress me. I want you to leave everything and follow me because you see that I'm better. Just like the man who finds the treasure in a field, if he has to sell his car to buy that field, he's gained so much more. That's a good financial transaction. That's a good decision. And so one, one practical diagnostic the life of the Christian should be marked by regular decisions that do not make sense if Jesus is not your Lord, Savior, and treasure. Your life should have specific examples, decisions you've made that if Jesus is not your treasure, it doesn't make any sense. So think, for example, that, that can happen at an individual level and at a corporate level. Think about this church building that we are sitting in right now, built in 1952. In 1952, a group of families decided to devote time and money and energy to building this structure. Now, surely, those families had houses and farms and businesses. And, and surely those houses and farms and businesses, those were themselves expensive to build and maintain and pay for. In the 50s, people saved for retirement then too. There's the same dynamic now. And those families gave money to build this building. They gave extra money to this project. And then you fast forward 70 years and another group of Families, another group of people, many of whom are sitting here today, these, these individuals, these families, begin setting aside money to purchase a building. And that has allowed us to purchase and maintain and make improvements to this building. Now that doesn't make any sense if you don't love Jesus, if you don't treasure Jesus. I've, I've heard it said that a, a way to diagnose if, if your money is following your, tre your heart, if your heart is treasuring Jesus, one way to diagnose that is you should give enough 
and not specifically to, the, to this church, but just to ministry in general, to, to kingdom building in general, you should get enough, you should give enough that when you get your giving statement at the end of the year, it should be an amount that you could have done something with, that you could have done something significant with. And that's different for different people, different families, and different stages of life, but it should be an amount that matters to you. You, you should get that and say, okay, this is a meaningful amount of money in my world. Because I give to things that matter to me. I invest in my house because I like living in a house. I save for my kids' education because I want my kids to have a good education. I spend money on my hobbies because I like them. I invite friends into my home because, and I spend money on food because I like having my friends in my home. And in the same way, I give to this ministry or that ministry because I want that ministry to flourish. I want there to be a church in Northfield. And so I'm going to give to make that happen. That, that's a dynamic. That's, that's exposing your heart. That's the Lord searching your heart. So th- there is a real leaving everything to the Christian life. For, for every Christian, it should be true that they have left everything to follow Jesus. And responding to Jesus' call to follow me, can, it can bear real cost in terms of relationships and treasure and positions of influence and accomplishments. Peter really did leave his fishing business. He really, de- really did leave his social network. He really did leave his financial stability to become a disciple. But Jesus always gives more than we give him. Jesus says, you will receive a hundredfold. Sometimes it's literal money to replace what we've been given. There would be stories in this room of people that said, I gave financially and the Lord gave back. The Lord responded and covered my needs. Not to make me rich, We're, this is not a prosperity gospel church, but I, I freely gave and the Lord provided. The Lord helped me to pay my bills. The Lord covered my expenses. So sometimes it's literal money. Sometimes it's relationships to replace the ones that we've lost. Sometimes it's the hospitality of others to replace the homes or lands that we've given up. But it's not always that. And it's always more than that. So Jesus says, You'll, you'll receive, verse 30, a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecution. With persecution. Jesus promises that you'll receive good things and he promises you'll receive persecution. Christians are not immune to trouble, but rather we are guaranteed trouble in this world. But when we plant ourselves by the stream of water, or rather, when we plant ourselves by the stream of water, when you come to Christ and say, I'm going to plant myself here where Jesus is my treasure, the sun will still beat down on you. The scorching wind will still blow in your life. But as that heat comes down, 
your heart will be exposed. And what will, what will be exposed? It will be exposed that Jesus is your greatest treasure. That Jesus always gives us more of himself than whatever we gave up. And so we're almost done here. That is the testimony of many missionaries. If you read missionary biographies, you'll hear they give up everything to go make the gospel known. And some of these missionaries, they see little or no fruit in, in their life. They live difficult lives filled with loss. They, they are isolated from the Christian community that you and I experience. But they receive more than enough of Jesus to be sustained. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China in the 1800s, left England, goes to China, gives his life to missions in China. And at the end of his life, he said, I never made a sacrifice. And if you read his story, he buried wives, not, not a wife, a few wives, a few wives, one at a time, passed away on the mission field, he had children pass away on the mission field. He left his home and family. He left his career as a doctor in London. He suffered persecution and sickness. And he got to the end of his life and he said, I never made a sacrifice. Because he received a hundredfold in fellowship with Christ as his dearly loved servant. So as, as Christians, we, we say, yes, I could have more in the bank. I could live more comfortably. I could retire earlier. I could engage in more hobbies. But I love the kingdom of God more. I find more joy investing my treasure in these kingdom projects. I find more fulfillment giving time to help people follow Jesus. I am more deeply satisfied by Jesus as I serve him among the lost, the broken, the needy than I would be in the comfort of my isolation. And so my friends, taste the sweet, clean water of following Christ. See that life apart from him is a dry desert and in your joy, sell everything and follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, you expose our hearts. You test our hearts and our minds. You reveal what's going on under the surface. And so, Jesus, would you show us ways that we are not drawing nourishment from you? Show us where we are loving created things rather than the creator and give us grace to let go of those things so that we can lay hold of you. Jesus, you are our great treasure. No one loves us like you. No one sustains us like you. No one can give us what you can give us. And so we love you. In your name we pray, amen.